This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Hi folks, Ben here with a quick favor to ask. There are some great advertisers who support the show, and in order for them to continue doing that, I need your help. Please do me a favor and go to podsurvey.com slash kick and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you a little better. Even if you've taken our show's podcast listener survey before, the current one is new and different, so I'd really love for you to take it again. Plus, once you've completed the survey, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Again, that's podsurvey, P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y, dot com slash kick. Thanks for your help, and now enjoy the podcast. Hi. I'm Ben Mathis, and welcome to Kick-Ass News. Mel Blanc, the famous voice actor behind Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, and Speedy Gonzales, once called Rich Little the man of a thousand voices. Mr. Little himself more modestly puts that number at around 200 celebrity impressions, including Johnny Carson, George Burns, Jack Benny, Frank Sinatra, John Wayne, Cary Grant, Jack Nicholson, Ed Sullivan, Edward G. Robinson, Jimmy Stewart, Clint Eastwood, Burt Lancaster, Bing Crosby, Gregory Peck, Dr. Phil, Jack Lemmon, Humphrey Bogart, Arnold Schwarzenegger, James Mason, Carol Channing, and Alfred Hitchcock, just to name a few of them, as well as seven U.S. presidents, starting with John F. Kennedy, straight through Barack Obama, and now he's working on perfecting his Donald J. Trump impression. Since his first big break, appearing on The Judy Garland Show in 1964, Rich Little has made many memorable television appearances, including 60 appearances on The Tonight Show, filling in as guest host for Johnny Carson a dozen of those times. He did 24 Dean Martin celebrity roasts and multiple appearances on The Ed Sullivan Show, Hollywood Squares, The Merv Griffin Show, Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, The Joey Bishop Show, The Julie Andrews Hour, and The Muppet Show, just to name a few. He's also hosted his own variety show, The Rich Little Show, and starred in the ABC comedy impersonation show, The Copycats. He entertained at both of Ronald Reagan's presidential inaugurations, hosted the 2007 White House Correspondents' Dinner, and befriended Reagan and a number of the presidents he's imitated over the years. These days, he headlines in his one-man show, Rich Little Live, at the Tropicana in Las Vegas, as well as touring around the country, and he has a new book chronicling his 50 years in show business called Little by Little, People I've Known and Been. On today's podcast, Rich will share how he got his first break by winning over Judy Garland with his James Mason impression. He'll talk about why he delayed his very first appearance on The Tonight Show and how a trip to the San Diego Zoo helped him perfect his Johnny Carson impersonation. He'll talk about the time he stood in for Ronald Reagan at a White House press conference and President Reagan's own knack for celebrity impressions and an embarrassing cocktail party at Richard Nixon's house. Plus, Ed Sullivan was dumb as a rock, Dean Martin was pretty much what you'd expect, Cary Grant was surprisingly insecure, Jimmy Stewart liked to play Quasimodo, and Jack Benny's ridiculous quest for the perfect chicken noodle soup. Coming up with the legendary man of a thousand voices, Rich Little, in just a moment.
Today I'm sitting down at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library and Museum with the man Mel Blanc called the Man of a Thousand Voices, celebrity impersonator Rich Little. He's chronicled his 50 years in show business in a terrific book called Little by Little, People I've Known and Been. Rich, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Good to be here at the Reagan Library. My first time. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. Um, as a kid, I grew up trying to do impressions, and I was a fan of yours. I don't think that I was ever very good. My friends tell me that I'm not very good. <laughs> but I was interested in reading the book. Apparently, there's a difference between impressionists and an impersonator. What's the distinction? Well, I think it's true. I mean, it's my own thoughts. Um, I think of uh, uh, an impressionist is one that does his impression of somebody, which can be an exaggeration or a cartoon. Yeah. You know, it's their impression. I think of an impersonator as one who does a carbon copy of somebody. Okay. And that's what I've always tried to do. I, I don't exaggerate too much. I um, I pretty much stick to the voice the, re- the way it really is, you yeah. know. Okay, so for instance, if someone's doing Ed Sullivan and they do that kind of classic really big shoe, that's an impression. That's not an impersonation. Uh, Well, he never really said really big shoe. Well, actually, he did. (laughs) He did? Uh, Not exactly the way impersonators did, but he did say really big shoe. (laughs) Sort of halfway between. Oh, okay. Actually, one time on a show I did called Copycats, which right. was a, a show we did in England with all impersonators. And we had Ed on as a guest. And um, everybody was imitating Ed Sullivan. And Ed was the worst. Oh, it was Ed Sullivan doing an Ed Sullivan? Yeah, he really couldn't do Ed <laughs> Sullivan. And Will Jordan, who was the guy that looked like him, he was the most famous for doing Sullivan. Um, he sounded more like Ed than Ed did. And Ed came up to Will Jordan before we taped the show and said, how, how do you say that? And um, Will said, say what? Really big sh- show? And Ed's, Ed sort of stumbled and, and, and Will Jordan said, no, Ed, it's really, really big shoe. You know, like something you put on your foot, a shoe. And Ed said, oh, I get it, really big shoe. He said, yeah, just think of your shoe. So on the first take we did, Ed said, We're, I'm happy to be here tonight on this really big foot. <laughs> well, yeah, and you say that he wasn't exactly the brightest bulb. You were on his show a lot of times. Yeah. In fact, he screwed up your name the first time oh, yeah, you went yeah, on. Yeah, well, I think one of the reasons people like to watch the Ed Sullivan show was that he uh, he screwed up almost everything. Names, <laughs> he got dates wrong, you know. He once introduced a singer on his show. Now, now this, this lady was popular uh, singing way back during <laughs> World War I. <laughs> yeah, he, he couldn't improv to save his life. No, uh, he, he was couldn't ad-lib. He couldn't attached read. to the cue cards. And he couldn't see very well. <laughs> Uh, he had no talent. He couldn't sing. He couldn't dance. He couldn't tell jokes. But he couldn't couldn't quit show business because he was a star. That's a shame, isn't it? How was he so famous? That, uh, that's a mystery to well, me. Well, he started out as a, a as a columnist, a sports columnist yeah. for the New York Daily News, and became right. um, quite well known through his column. 
And then he just got into show business. And then I don't know how he got the show, but um, um, people uh, people kind of liked him because yes. I think people saw themselves. If they were going to host a show, they'd probably be yeah. be as bad yeah. as this. Oh, that, yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah. 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 It, it, what was it? When he introduced you, he introduced you as Little Richard. Little Richard. And then he didn't correct from, himself. He thanked you as Little Richard after you did your act. Didn't well, he? no, actually, he, he realized he called oh, he me did. Little Richard. Oh, he did. Okay. And um, he came to my <laughs> dressing room after and said, they wrote the name wrong on the cards. Yeah. Did you he buy said, that? He said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ricardo. I said, Ed, I'm not. I'm not Spanish. <laughs> he said, you know, but they they wrote your name wrong on the cards, and that's why I screwed up. <laughs> he said, but I'm I'm ready. I want to apologize for doing that, Tiny. I said, no, no, Ed, not Tiny Little. It's not Little Richard. It's Rich Little. Well, you know who you are. I said, well, I do, but apparently you don't. You know, Ed was in his own world. He, yeah. he, he, he was a strange man. <laughs> now, how did all this start? Were, were you the kind of guy who was a class clown in school? or? Yeah, what? I was the guy that got up in front of the class and imitated the teacher before they arrived. <laughs> and uh, I, I did their walks and their expressions and things. And then we'd have a lookout at the door and they'd say, the teacher's coming down, down the hallway. And I take my seat. Everybody would behave. The teacher would walk in and start talking and do the things I was just doing a few minutes before he arrived. And the kids all started laughing. And the teacher couldn't figure out why they were so funny. <laughs> now, you eventually decided you had a knack for this. Yeah, I guess your first big break was the Judy Garland show, right? right. And apparently... I guess Mel Torme was a yes. friend and got you on the show, and yes. she didn't like impressionists, right? No, she did not like impersonators. I can't tell you what she said on the radio, but it <laughs> uh, wasn't too complimentary. But she didn't like impersonators. And when she heard, when she heard me do my impression of James Mason, <laughs> you remember they made a movie together called yeah. A Star is Born, and she loved James Mason. And when she heard my James Mason, she said, book him. I love James Mason, and that's fabulous. So I got on the show because of James Mason. Wow, that's a pretty good James Mason, too. Well, as a matter of fact, about a year after I did uh, the Garland show, I ran into James Mason oh, somewhere, yeah? the real James Mason. And I went up to him, and I said, uh, Mr. Mason, uh, you don't know who I am. My name is Rich Little. I'm an impersonator, and I, I do an impression of you. And he looked at me and he said, what on earth for? And walked away. And that was it. I never had a chance to thank him for getting me on the Garland show. Well, what was Judy like to work with? Judy was great. Was this because, when she was, had well, herself she, together she, or she when had, she was She had apart? a lot of problems, yeah. which I was not aware of. A young 20-year-old kid from Canada, I didn't know yeah. what was going on behind the scenes. You know, but yeah. she did have a lot of problems, uh, insecurity and drinking and, mm -hmm. you know, lack of confidence and, and she was difficult, mm -hmm. but, uh, I can only say good things about her. She was very nice to me, Really, but, um, we didn't sh finish shooting that show, uh, until about three in the morning. 
Really? Because of that normal? all the things that went wrong and couldn't get Judy uh, out of the dressing room and <laughs> she didn't like the arrangement. And really? then we had Peter Lawford on the phone and he was a train wreck. <laughs> and so we didn't get through that show till about three in the morning when we finally wow. finished it. Yeah. Jeez. But that was the big break for you, I guess. And I that think, started my career. Yeah. I, th- I think you said that almost immediately you were getting calls to come on The Tonight Show, but I think you said that you stalled them because you didn't want to go on until you had the perfect Johnny impression. That's right. That's right. And how did you perfect Johnny? And uh, I worked on it, and I wasn't happy with it. My really? agent kept saying, they keep calling, want you on the show. I said, where till I get Johnny down? Well, I... <laughs> I suddenly realized, my gosh, maybe I'll never get him down. And then I went to the San Diego Zoo one day with some friends of mine, and I was looking at a bunch of ostriches in a cage at the San Diego Zoo. (laughs) And I looked at these ostriches, and they reminded me of Johnny Carson. The way they walked, the ostriches were always looking around. Yeah. And giving that sort of Carson look. Carson yeah, always the head looked, bob kind of thing. The head yeah. bob and Carson was always looking around like <laughs> like yeah. like Jack Benny did actually in yeah. many ways. Uh-huh. And that's how I got to do my impression of uh, of Johnny Carson was think to think of an ostrich. <laughs> and I think at some point you had it down to twenty two mannerisms that were the Johnny Carson mannerisms. Yeah, huh? there were there were about 22 <laughs> or 23 mannerisms. And I did that on one of the Dean Martin roasts. Yeah. The, the one to, yeah. to Johnny Carson. I I I did all his mannerisms. <laughs> and uh <laughs> he used to say to me, "Rich, I I I think you do me better than I do." <laughs> he said, "You're more me than I am." <laughs> I was thinking when I pass away, they should bury you. <laughs> I said I don't like that idea, John. Yeah, snuck a little dig in there, huh? Um, well, he he was he was quick. Johnny yeah. was was a fast wit. Yeah, yeah, he sure was. You know, speaking of Johnny, there was a phone call that took place between Jack Benny and Johnny Carson yes. that you weren't even involved in. That's true. <laughs> do you know which one I'm talking yes, about? Yes, I do. And and Johnny told that a number of times on the Tonight Show. The first time I heard it, I thought that isn't true. But he told it so many times, I thought, I guess it is true. Either that or he exaggerated it. But I think it is true. Um, Jack Benny phoned up Johnny Carson at home. They were friends. And Jack said, John, I just did a special for NBC that's going to be on, you know, next Friday. And I was hoping that I could come on your show this week and plug it. And Johnny gave him the brush off. Johnny said, ah, th- thank you, Jack. Uh, I appreciate the call, but we're, we're booked up for next week. We, there are no openings, but thanks for calling, and I'll talk to you soon. And hung up on Jack Benny. And Jack was crushed because he gave him the brush off. So Jack phoned his manager, a guy by the name of Irving Fine, and said, I just talked to Johnny Carson about going on a show, and he gave me the brush off. He hung up on me. And Irving said, I, I don't understand that. He's a huge fan of yours. Yeah. My gosh. So Irving Fine phoned Johnny Carson and said, you were a little a little um, dismissive when it came to, to, uh, to Jack Benny. And Johnny said, what? He said, well, Irving phoned me up and said Jack was a little hurt. He said... You're kidding. That that was Jack Benny that fooled me up? 
honest? He said, yeah, he just called you a few minutes ago. I I thought that was Rich Little putting me on. <laughs> I thought that was Rich doing a doing an impression of Jack Benny, and I was wise to it, so I kind of brushed him off. No, that was really Jack Benny. So Johnny phoned Jack back and apologized. You know, he said, I, I thought that was Rich Little. I don't know. And, I don't and, know. And uh, Jack Benny said, well, no, that was me that called. He said, of course, of course, Jack, you can come on the show next week, any day you want. And then Jack said to him, well, good, good. Listen, when you send me my check, don't send it to Rich Little. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a testament to how bad a Jack Benny impression Jack Benny does or how good one you do. <laughs> I don't know. I, but he was convinced that was, uh, that was me calling. Yeah. Yeah. You became buddies with him. And I love there's one story in here speaking of Johnny and Jack. Apparently, Jack Benny was obsessed with the NBC commissary's oh, yeah. chicken soup. Huh? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, little things uh, pleased Jack Benny. Yeah. You know, I'd say to him, I'm, I'm going to Chicago to play the Palmer House. And Jack would say, oh, the Palmer House. I love the Palmer House. You're going to have a terrific time. I said, really? Yes. He said, the, the towels are so fluffy there at the Palmer House. <laughs> As a matter of fact, they're so fluffy and so big, I, I can hardly get them in my suitcase. <laughs> Typical Jack Benny. But, but Jack, uh, you know, he, he, the, yeah. the little things in life yeah. uh, uh, excited him, not, not the big yeah. things. And you guys went on this whole quest around NBC oh, yeah, to try to find and get the chicken, the chicken soup. soup after hours, huh? Yes, and the, and the cafeteria was closed, and he was banging on the door, and he wanted some chicken soup, and the... And one of the cleaning ladies let us in, and we raided the icebox, and we found the chicken soup, and Jack went bananas. He was so excited about this chicken soup. That was the best thing he said that happened to me all week. You yeah. know, I said, well, you just did the Tonight Show. Oh, for, oh, forget about the Tonight Show. Have you tried the chicken soup at the NBC commissary? And then he loaded up on it. I think you said that you guys crashed Lucille, oh, Lucille Ball, Ball was taping show, yeah. in one of the rooms there. Yes, and he wandered right in in the middle of them taping a scene and told uh, Lucy to try the chicken soup. <laughs> and she said, Jack, I don't like chicken soup. And then he went to all the audience, went around through the audience, letting them taste the chicken soup. Well, what did you think? I thought, this is outrageous. It's hysterical, but it's typical Jack Benny. Oh, I meant the soup. Oh, the soup. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I thought it, I thought it was, was it okay good? for chicken soup. I I don't know whether it was that great. Yeah. You know, I mean, to Jack, it was the greatest thing that ever ever was invented. But uh, you know. Yeah, and at one point, didn't Jack Benny tell you you were doing him wrong? Yes, yes, he did say that one time. You know, because Jack was what was putting his hand up to his mouth. You know, that yeah. was one of his. Um, one of his, uh, you know, looks that he had, you know, when he was thinking and looking around. And um, he said to me, you know, Rich, when you do me and you put your fingers up to your mouth, <laughs> use three fingers. Don't use four. Okay? <laughs> because four is funnier than three. And I, I believed him when he told me this. He was just putting me on, you know. 
we're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with Rich Little when we come back in just a moment. Folks, whether you're starting an online business or trying to get your existing business online, GoDaddy wants to help. GoDaddy's mission is to radically shift the global economy toward life-fulfilling independent ventures, helping customers kick ass by giving them the tools, insights, and the people to transform their ideas and personal initiatives into success. With more than 62 million domain names under management, GoDaddy is the world's largest technology provider dedicated to small business and the largest domain registrar. They have award-winning 24-7 support and everything you need to build your online business. Whether you have a new idea or an established business, the key to success online starts with a great domain name, and GoDaddy is trusted by 13 million customers, more than any other registrar, with big savings over the other guys. And right now, my listeners can get 30% off new purchases on GoDaddy.com by using the code KICK30 at checkout. That's GoDaddy.com, code KICK30 for 30% off. Again, GoDaddy.com and offer code KICK30. And now, back to the podcast. You did the, I think, what, 24 of the Dean Martin Celebrity Roasts? Right. He always came off as so nonchalant about everything. Was that really how he was? Oh, yeah. Uh, Dean Dean didn't care or worry about anything. (laughs) All he wanted to do was get the show done as soon as possible so he could go and play golf, you know. <laughs> he didn't like to rehearse. He never rehearsed. Never looked at the cue cards, ever. And boy, I tell you, that get him into trouble a few times because really? he didn't look at the cue cards. But he had a lot of other performers around him to get out of trouble when he couldn't yeah. read the cards. But um, Dean, uh, when you did his variety show, he never rehearsed. A stand-in really? did it, and then he only did the show. Okay. And then the reason I think uh, he did the roast. It's hard to imagine how he could come off so well, putting well, very little effort into it. Well, because he was a great ad He was just, yeah, he was a he great was just that talented. And nothing fazed him. And I think wow. one of the reasons he huh. did the roasts were that he didn't have to rehearse. There was no music. He didn't <laughs> yeah. have to sing. He just showed up and did the roast. He didn't even know who the guest of honor was and could care less. Uh, you know, I think that somewhere in here you say that your favorite one was Jimmy Stewart, and I think maybe even the first one that you did. You talk about that's, sneaking that's, into that's, a theater with an 8-track to record well, him. Huh? They are, yeah, Jim, Jim, Jimmy Stewart was, was prob- probably the first first person I, <laughs> I ever impersonated. And you're right. I I I I took a tape. Rec- <laughs> Why am I talking as Jimmy? I took a tape recorder into a movie theater. I was about 15, and plugged it in under the screen and taped this movie that was showing. It was called The Far Country with Jimmy Stewart, and I taped it, which is highly illegal, right? And uh, this little fifty-dollar tape recorder, and I taped the movie so I could study his voice, and. Um, the, one of the ushers found me and got the manager. And um, what happened was I went to unplug the tape recorder that was still plugged in under the screen, and I accidentally had the volume up, and throughout the whole theater you heard, 
and and people thought there were rats down there. <laughs> and um, so the manager came down and grabbed my tape recorder, grabbed me, and threw me out on the street. <laughs> threw my tape recorder after me. Wow. Yep, that's yeah. a true story. I told Jimmy that story. Oh, yeah? Yeah, years later, and he said... Well, Rich, why, why, why didn't you get a hold of me? I, I would have sent, sent you a copy of the movie. I said, Jim, you didn't know who I was. I'm just some yeah. kid up in Canada, you know. But he was such a nice guy, he probably would have. He probably know. would have. Yes, you're right. Yeah. He, he got a kick out of that story, though. Yeah, I love how he told you once how he would deter fans from coming up to him and stopping him for autographs. Yes. Huh? He had something called the Quasimodo face. Oh, yeah, he'd make a face. <laughs> what was the he face? He would distort his face so that people going by him didn't recognize him. And they wouldn't <laughs> stop him for an autograph. If he was in a hurry, if he wasn't in a hurry, he would stop and sign mm -hmm. autographs. But if he was in a hurry and he saw a family coming with kids who were going to ask for autographs for about 10 or 15 mm -hmm. minutes, he went into a quasi-moto thing and he humped <laughs> over, you know, the, he, he screwed up his mouth and sort of dragged his foot and pretend he, <laughs> pretend he was, uh, was quasi-moto <laughs> so no one would recognize him. Did it ever work? Well, it worked until one day he was doing it, passing this family, and he looked up, and it was his neighbor, his next-door neighbor. And the neighbor said, Jim, what happened to your face? Were you in an accident? And poor Jim was stuck, you know. He said, uh, yeah, I, I, I just hurt, hurt, my, hurt my face, and, and, and it's healing, you know. We talk about all the awkward positions that you're put in, particularly at parties or somewhere where – you're with a celebrity or right. a group of celebrities, and they say, oh, do this guy <laughs> for him. Yeah. And I think the perfect example of that is the first time you met Nixon at a, yeah. I, what was it, a party of his it in San a, Clemente? It was a garden party in San Clemente. And I was in my early 20s, new to the business, actually. And I was invited to this garden party. And uh, I was thrilled because when I arrived, my act was there. <laughs> I'd never met my act before. What do I you mean, mean? Well, all of Hollywood was there. Oh, oh, at yeah, that everyone time, you do, yeah. At that time, they were all conservatives. Now they're all liberals. Right, right. But um, uh, my act was there. I mean, George Burns was there. John Wayne was there. Glenn Campbell. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Stewart, you, you know. And I ended up doing Nixon in front of him. <laughs> How'd that go? And it didn't go over well at all. <laughs> As I'm doing my Nixon in front of him, he turned to his wife, Pat, and said, why, why is this young man speaking in this strange voice? <laughs> and she said, he's doing you, honey. He's doing you. He is? <laughs> and he said, I, I, I don't recognize it. <laughs> and she said, I think it's pretty good. Well, I don't. This is terrible. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Get and out of here. Wasn't it his place? It was his place. Yeah, that's how upset he was. Let's get out of here. And he walked away with Pat, leaving me standing there. And everybody was embarrassed. You have no idea. Everybody was just gagging themselves to keep from laughing. I remember George Burns came up to me and said, you know, I, I was so embarrassed. I ate a flower. And John Wayne said, 
somebody get a rope, you know. <laughs> I think you said, wasn't it Debbie Reynolds who set Debbie you up Reynolds there? Debbie Reynolds set that up, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She came up to Nixon and said, this is Rich Little. He, he wants to do you. And he Rich, wants to do you. <laughs> Nixon was like, Which what is he talking about? Which could mean maybe I was going to shoot him. <laughs> yeah, or, or something That's when else. he turned around and <laughs> scoured at me. And that's when I went into my Nixon and he just stared at me like I was talking Martian, you know? Yeah. Well, another president who you became closest to, I think, was probably Ronald Reagan. Apparently, he liked to do impressions, too. Who did he do? Well, yes. <laughs> I can remember one time Reagan did his Jimmy Stewart for me, <laughs> which was fair. Really? Wasn't bad. Hmm. And then he did his John Wayne for me, which was a little better. And then he did Truman Capote for me. <laughs> the president of the United States is doing Truman Capote. Do you remember Truman yeah, Capote? Yeah, I remember Truman Capote. And I can't picture talking, Reagan doing he him. He was talking like Truman Capote, <laughs> doing talking like this, you know. And I gave him a joke. Yeah? What was that? Well, he didn't have uh, anything to say as Truman Capote, so I gave him a joke. And he wrote it down on the back of a Secret Service man. And uh, he loved it. And the joke was this. My name is Truman Capote. You know, a lot of people think that I wrote in cold blood, but that's not true. Actually, I wrote in ink. <laughs> and Reagan loved that. Yeah. And he wrote that down on the back of a Secret Serviceman, put, put it in his pocket and said, I can't wait to try that out on Gorbachev. <laughs> I wonder if Gorbachev would even know imagine? who Truman Capote was. <laughs> Can you imagine yeah. him doing that? Yeah, I can't or picture Gorbachev? Reagan doing a lisp even. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I would have given uh, anything to see that. Yeah. <laughs> well, at one point, didn't you step in and do a White House press conference as Ronald Reagan? Yes, I did. Uh, one of the first times I met him... Um, I was uh, late for some function at the White House in the Lincoln Room, and I was running down the corridor, and he saw me coming, and he was giving a press conference at the time. And he looked up and he said, Rich, I'm glad you're here because you do me better than I do, so you finish this press conference. And I went, what? And he said, no, you finish it as me. And all I hope is, you don't get us into a war. <laughs> and then he split. And I how'd ended up talking to the press as Ronald Reagan. Yeah, how'd you do? How'd you handle the press? I guess pretty well. They were writing yeah. down what I said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it was his inauguration. When you got another one of these predicaments you seem to get yourself into, someone goaded you into calling up Betty Davis, of all people, oh, yeah. on the phone during yes. the inauguration or at the inauguration? Uh, before the, uh, well, no, after the inauguration yeah. ceremony. Okay. And before the uh, presidential gala. Yeah. And uh, I phoned up Betty Davis to ask her where she was. No one saw her at the swearing-in. And, and I phoned her up as Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. And uh, she thought it was Jimmy Stewart. And then I said to her, Bet, it's not Jimmy Stewart, it's Rich Little. And she was furious. She hung up and she was mad. She didn't get the joke, huh? No. And then later I told Reagan this, and he said, well, we'll have to set the record straight. Let's get to a phone and we'll phone her. And so we did. And he phoned her up. And he said, Bet, 
This is President Reagan calling. (laughs) And she said, go to hell, Rich Little, and slammed the phone down. (laughs) To the the newly elected president of the United States. Yep. True story. I love it. Well, um, another person along with Jimmy Stewart that you were close with and that you really loved apparently was Cary Grant. Oh, yes. He was one of your favorites, huh? I I love Cary Grant. Uh, Cary was a gentleman (laughs) and uh, a wonderful actor. I, I, I just I, I, I had great conversations with with Carrie. Yeah, <laughs> used to say to me, Rich, I, I, I don't mind talking to you, but don't talk about movies. <laughs> I don't want to talk about movies. Let's talk about real life, things that are important. <laughs> and then about five minutes later, we're talking about movies. <laughs> yeah, and one thing that I found telling about him and about celebrity in general is how insecure they can be. And he and others, even like Carson, I think, would come up to you and ask if you're still doing them in your act and if people still knew who they were. That's right. That's right. Johnny did that. Yeah. 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 And Cary Grant, too. Yeah, Cary Grant, too. Yeah. Yeah. They think that once they start making movies or they're off television, nobody knows who they are, which is not true. Even today, people remember Johnny Carson. Well, not young people, but... People of my age certainly do, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, along those lines, you know, a lot of times when people talk about guys like, say, Jonathan Winters or yeah. Peter Sellers, people who do characters, people who are mimics, they'll say things like they were never happy in their own skin or the only time yeah. they were happy was when they were being someone else. Right. You seem like a pretty content guy to me. You seem like pretty well adjusted and happy. But is there something that you can relate to about that? What, about me as a person? Well, just in general, that idea that people who are mimics or play characters, they're not comfortable in their own skin. They're not happy with themselves, and they have to be somebody else. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, that's true to a a certain extent with a lot of impersonators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they want to be somebody else. Well, I've always known who I am, but Mm -hmm. I just had such admiration uh, for actors and uh, and politicians and television performers that um, uh, I, I was so involved in, like if I went to a movie, in the movie that I came out and I talked as the star of the movie for days. Mm-hmm. Drove my family crazy. <laughs> and then I went to another movie with another star, and then for about a week after that, I would talk as in their yeah. voice. So I was constantly doing all these people yeah. all the time. Well, I'm curious about your process. You you actually throw some tips in toward the end on how one can do impersonations. Uh, you want to share some of the advice here? Well, you can't really teach anybody yeah. to do an impression, but you can give them little tips. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, uh, pick a phrase, something mm-hmm. the the celebrity is known for saying. You know, like "Go ahead, make my." <laughs> make my day (laughs) or Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll be back. Yeah. You know, things like that. That makes start, start with things that they're known for little phrases and then gradually start to talk as them. And you said that older people are easier to do than younger people. Yeah. Cause they have a little more character in their voice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Younger people are harder to do. Yeah. Yeah. But when they get older, the, you know, their voices get a little raspy. Yeah. And in Jimmy Stewart's case, he slowed down. Right, right. Yeah, you forget that Jimmy Stewart 
Yeah, he in used the to early talk days, normally. he talked fast. He didn't have a stutter. He actually talks mm-hmm. fast. If you look at uh, um, some of his early movies, you know, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Jimmy is talking quite fast. Mm-hmm. It was just later on right. in life that yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy started to, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> one, one time he said to me, Rich, I'd, I'd, I talk so slow. He said, one time I was, I was halfway through making a movie and... I, I I found out that they'd already finished the sequel. <laughs> well, I wonder, you know, do you group celebrities when you're doing impressions? Do you group celebrities in certain categories based on voice or type? Like, for instance, if you can do a decent Nixon, you can probably just slow it down, throw in a stutter and get a Jimmy Stewart. Right. Well, or, or if you can do a Reagan, there's a good chance you can do Carson. Oh, I don't know about that. No. But, uh, well, no. Some voices do the sound similarities. a little bit, a little bit alike. Yeah. 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 There are some. Yeah. What is the secret to doing Carson? Aside, I, I've always. Doing I who? feel like that's an essential skill that I've been trying to master, and I'm not very good at. Well, I think. Aside I from think the ostrich, th- <laughs> the one phrase that Carson always used uh-huh. is, um, "I, I, I did not know that." That's right. <laughs> yeah. He was always saying yeah. that, didn't he? Yeah, I didn't. I, I did, did not, not know, know that. that. I did. I did not know that. I sound like Nixon. I, I don't. Yeah, well, I'm gonna go do some homework. I think. <laughs> um, well, before we go, is there one celebrity that you've tried to do but just stumps you? Uh, yeah, Angelie Jolie. <laughs> I'd like to do her. <laughs> Well, I'd never be lonely, would I? Yeah, <laughs> I'd end up jumping myself, I think. But um, uh, no, there's a lot of people yeah. I can't imitate. I can't do George Clooney. I can't do Matt yeah. Damon. I can't do. Uh, well, Brad I don't even Pitt. know what they would sound like. No, no, they're not as distinctive no, as those not, old they're voices. They're not really that distinctive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it gets tougher yeah. for an impersonator because we don't have voices yeah. like we used to. Are you working on a Trump? Donald Trump. We're going to build a wall. A wall. We're going to build not not a table, not a chair. We're going to build a wall, and Walmart is going to pay for the wall. <laughs> He's a tough one to do. I think I've tried to do him, and I definitely can't do well, him. He repeats and there aren't many people who do him well. He repeats yeah. himself a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, that must make it easy, I guess. And uh, <laughs> you know, he's uh, he's so colorful, though. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have, get a lot of material from him. Yeah, I'm going to have a ball with him. Yeah, a lot of people will. I go, first, I've got to get a tie that's about seven feet long. Yeah. And <laughs> maybe and tall store. put a beaver on my head or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, Rich Little, it's been so much fun. Again, your book is called Little by Little, People I've Known and Been. And I also want to point out that you have some great artwork in this book. Yeah. You do sketches of all these yeah. celebrities. Yeah, I've done that for yeah. years. Yeah, that's cool. And people can also keep up with you at richlittle.com. Little.com. Okay. And, and any get my shows book coming through up? Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. Any shows coming up? Well, I'm at the Tropicana five nights a week in Las okay. Vegas. Great. And I'll be back on stage tomorrow night at seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. And uh, love it. Okay. Just love it. I'm still performing. I still still have my health. And I'm still alive, so this is this is good. <laughs> well, go and see him at the Tropicana. Don't miss that. The great Rich Little. Thanks so much. You're it's very been a welcome. pleasure. <laughs> My pleasure too. 
Thanks again to Rich Little for joining me on the podcast, and thanks to the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library and Museum for hosting our interview. If you enjoyed today's episode, then you can order Rich Little's new book, Little by Little, People I've Known and Been, on Amazon. Or you can download the audio version for free through a special offer just for our listeners at audibletrial.com slash kickassnews. Visit Rich at richlittle.com or on Facebook. And if you're in Vegas between now and July, see Rich Little live at the Tropicana. I'll include a link to order tickets in the show notes to this episode or go to troplv.com. Be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review while you're there. Don't forget to take our listener survey. It only takes five minutes at podsurvey.com kick. You can visit Kick-Ass News on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at at kickassnewspod. And be sure to recommend Kick-Ass News to your friends on your social media. And if you really want to help out, then donate to our GoFundMe campaign at GoFundMe.com slash KickAssNews or click on the donate button at KickAssNews.com. As always, I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at KickAssNews.com. For now, though, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. Kick-Ass News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.